Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Daniel Castandi. Danny is a 2022 summer associate in Foley's San Diego office, and in this discussion, he reflects on growing up in Corona, California, attending UC San Diego for undergrad, and USC Gould School of Law. This discussion, like so many on the show, is wide-ranging. So Danny touches on everything from growing up as a member of the Egyptian community and his initial focus on being a doctor to really digging in to how it is that he found a position with Foley and Lardner as a summer associate after deciding that he did not want to be a judge advocate general or a JAG officer. So this discussion, while it definitely gets into how somebody can end up with a position as a summer associate, I feel like this particular podcast has a much broader application in that this is a story about tenacity and hustle and how when you put positive energy out, something positive will come back to you. So once Danny walks through that and shares how he was able to get a position at Foley as a summer a little bit off cycle, which I do think is something important to explore because as you know, this podcast is about telling the real stories behind big law. We then get into Danny talking about what it was like to be a summer associate at Foley, what the culture was like, what his assignments were like, and just overall how he found the experience. We then wind down the discussion with Danny giving some wonderful advice on the importance of having gratitude, even for difficult situations. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Danny Cassandi. Danny, welcome to the podcast. We are going to jump right in by having you please give a short introduction. Hey, Alexis. I'm very happy to be here. Big fan of the podcast. I am currently a summer associate out of our San Diego office. Uh, we're wrapping up our summer in the next you know, 24 to 48 hours, and uh, it's been a fantastic summer. I go to USC Law School right now in Southern California, almost about to wrap that up too. I'm a graduate of UC San Diego. I'm an aspiring healthcare attorney. I really like privacy and that stuff too. So I'm trying to figure that out. I'm very excited to finish up law school and get started with my legal career. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's different, obviously, with summer associates because we don't have to go through that whole what's your legal practice thing. Instead, eventually we'll get to how has it been being a summer at Foley and Lardner. But before we do that, we got to talk a little bit about you and your journey here. Although we don't need to bury the lead, which is that you 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 were, and I hope we'll continue to be an avid podcast listener. So you being on this show reminds me a bit of when I was on the American Lawyers Legal Speak. And it's only like a 15 minute interview. But when it starts, I'm just like, wow, guys, I am really excited to be here because I've listened to this for a while. And I think you're in the same boat. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But maybe before we do, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a small, very hot town in Southern California called Corona, Inland Empire, near kind of Riverside area. It was a very quiet upbringing. My parents had immigrated from Egypt, and this is kind of where we found ourselves after my dad spent a couple of years in New York, like everyone else does. There was nothing at the time. It was just a bunch of trees. Um, since then, it's grown into full-blown suburbia. So it's not the same, but it was a very quiet, very like run around the street until nighttime upbringing. Yeah. So your neighborhood was your house and a bunch of trees. But since then, <laughs> since then, more people have moved in. And let's say, let's say I found you in, I don't know, late elementary school or early middle school. I get that you're probably playing outside a lot, running around those trees. Did you have any like interests or hobbies, sports, I was a books, dork. TV shows? Okay, go on, elaborate. I was a dork through and through. I, I read a lot. I used to sit with my dad in particular and we would watch TV shows and I would kind of like explain stuff and like social norms and stuff like that, which there's a huge barrier between my father and I that we've bridged through media which has been really fun. Like he really likes Seinfeld and he really likes SpongeBob, which are the two most different things. We used to sit there and talk about it. And that was something I remember 
very vividly about growing up was just like sarcasm and explaining sarcasm and nihilism. And this was me, I was in like sixth grade, right? So there'd be like a lot of these uh, like motifs that would show up in popular media and then we'd talk about it and then he'd translate that to, to his own work. And it was a very fun process. I, I swam growing up competitively. I played basketball growing up. I did like BMX bike riding and I broke a lot okay, of bones. So I feel like you just bury, you're like, I was super nerdy. And then you're like, but I did BMX bike riding and basketball and swimming. Right. So also very, some, like there's an athletic streak as well, to say the least. Yeah. Very prone to injury though. So whenever that would get interrupted, the nerd would fill the hole in. You just, you'd read while the bone healed or whatever it is that you'd done to yourself. I wrote a lot growing up. I was always that kid that was in a lot of extracurriculars because I didn't know what to do with myself. A lot of school. I really enjoyed school growing up. As I aged, I enjoyed it less because I excited to work. And tell me a little bit about with your parents, because you mentioned your parents immigrating to the US from Egypt. And you also mentioned a gap to close in particular with your dad. I'm guessing is that sort of a mix of like cultural and generational trying to connect to my kid who's being raised as an American? Is that what you're getting at? He still doesn't understand most things about me. So my dad came later than my mother did. And that's very noticeable. But with my dad, what I appreciate about my relationship with him is that he kept me close to my roots. My mom, much more Americanized, came here a lot younger, went to school, went to like higher education here. Not all school, but like most of it. My mom is more of my friend. My dad is more of my my mentor and he keeps me grounded. And uh, it's a very different relationship that we have. So they're both from Egypt. They came at separate times and met in the U.S. at some point. Correct. Correct. So they met, they got married very soon after they met. They were still at the time very transitory, less so now. So is this in New New York? Did they meet there? They met actually right after my dad came here at like a party. They were like set up, which they both thought was like a joke. They were like, oh, great. I have to meet this like other you know, person and just humor them. Oh, this other Egyptian person, of course, you want me to meet them, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Exactly. So it was like something that was like very par for the course for that age. They were like, you should meet this person. You should meet that person. So they just thought it was another stupid thing. But I mean, here we are. Yeah, it worked out. And do you have any siblings? I have one brother, one younger brother who went to UC San Diego with me when I was an undergrad. So we crossed over for two years. We lived together. Now he's going to medical school. He's in the, that whole process right now. So we both went in different directions. Doctor doctor, and lawyer. Yeah. If we had a third sibling and they would have became an engineer, they would have been the perfect Egyptian kid triangle, right? Oh, there you go. that's <laughs> hilarious. All right. Well, I appreciate some of that additional context around your family, but tell me high school, what are you up to? What's the thought process in terms of going to college? Tell me about that time period. You had one choice when you're a a, you know, a, a growing Egyptian person, and that is to be a doctor or to be a failure. So it's a, a lot of options. The, the decision-making process is very difficult. So that was my plan all through high school. So I oriented everything around that. I was doing mobile clinics. I was um, trying to shadow doctors. I was volunteering in hospitals. I was like, of course, I'm going to do this. There's no other choice. So I did that for a long time. And I did that for most of college too, where I was very firmly on that track. And where did you go to college and how did you decide where to go to college? I went to UC San Diego because they're a fantastic pre-med school, which is hilarious. Um, And then uh, I went because their research is very robust. And it was also like a great opportunity for me to leave home whilst also being close enough where I could be within earshot and be home if something was going on. There's a big separation anxiety, I feel like, with my parents. Well, the good thing is with California, there's so many great schools. So my dad lived in San Diego actually for about a decade. I would just come visit occasionally. I never, I can't really, you know, say I know a ton about it, but I've been to San Diego a number of times and I definitely picked up all of the like UCSD, USD, use like that. And from someone who grew up in Wisconsin, <laughs> like everything started to sound the same to me when you just are referring to them by their initials. But I know there are a number of public California colleges. You pick UC San Diego because you were gung-ho. I'm going to be a doctor. This is a great program and I can be close to home. I could be close enough to home, but far enough where I can kind of, you know, blaze my own trail, which was very radical decision at the time. 
because I was fully expected to go to UC Riverside, live at home. I was going to ask you, where'd your parents want you to go? Oh, it was, there was two real choices. It was UC Riverside and UC Irvine because they were both within a half hour. And I didn't go to either of them, which at the time was like, what is he doing? Is he crazy? Yeah. So how, how far away is UC San Diego? Like by, if you drive about an hour, 45 minutes, hour and a half. Okay. (laughs) Which to many is still relatively close. It's It's like, I can't, I can't get to him in under, in 30 minutes. He's far away. I was being treated like I was dying. They, they, they were like, well, we're never going to see him again. And all of my friends and my family friends are like, are you crazy? You're so far away. Yeah. Like, are you, are we ever going to see you again? It's like, I was dying. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be fine. But, so, but you make the leap. But I also think it's so important that there's a reason I ask all my guests about this is because the decisions you make for college are dependent on a lot. And I think some people, and maybe for it's more of a position of privilege, frankly, assume that what everybody does is grab US News and World Reports. And just go down the list of the best schools, regardless of where they are or how much they cost. And that really is not the reality for most of us. It's either proximity, it's cost, it's I had no idea, you know, that there were many schools outside of the one close to my house or whatever it was. So it's important to talk about. The UCs are the only school that I considered because of the price and because of the fact that you could get that same education from a much more expensive institution for you know, four times the price at the same proximal caliber, you know, of university. So it was like, I was, I was, you know, voluntold to apply to those schools only. And that was that. And that was that. And then graduate school was much more of a nuanced discussion because the margins are a lot slimmer. Yes. And we're going to get there. But first tell me, what was it like when you, once you went to UC San Diego, what was your major? How was the adjustment to college? I came in human biology. And then I switched to global health, like global public health. I was in the public health department and the anthropology department. And I stuck with that major through and through, but I had the best time. It was my first time ever, you know, being on my own. It was my first time, like, you know, I did the dorm thing where I lived with a bunch of strangers and my my family was going to have a heart attack. And it was like, it was this really fun exodus that I took and there was a lot of different chapters in my college journey that all in some weird way like led me here and it was just the most bizarre thing. Okay, we're going to talk about that, right? Like by the end of this will we understand what you just referred to? I hope. To? So. I hope, <laughs> I hope I, so. I, we will we will see, you know, listeners are like, "Oh, let's find out." So, did you stick with that major and then graduate and that whole time it's I'm going to be a doctor? So, it was actually right before I graduated. I had plagued myself with all of these courses and stress and um, what I started to do was get my nose out of a book and I started to like shadow doctors that were practicing specialties that I would be interested in. There was a few things that kind of materialized into this full-blown existential crisis. The first being whatever specialty you pick, it's like, that's what you do. You open an envelope, you go to this place, and then you do it the, you do that practice for the next 40 years. I get bored very easily. I like to do a bunch of different things. I I get antsy. I like to switch things up. So the idea of being, let's say, an anesthesiologist and doing that for 40 years, I was like, I have to be really confident that that's what I want to do if I'm, you know, signing up for that at, you know, 20, whatever. So that was my first hang up. The second was I actually started shadowing these people. And as much as I loved all of them, because I had close ties to all of them, I was also just like, I'm not very interested in this. It's very like pop in, say a few sentences, pop out. And that's what you do. Yeah. By the way, how did you find these? How did you find people to shadow? The the Egyptian world is very small. Yeah. <laughs> it's we're all over the place. There's thousands of us, but everyone knows each other, or at least everyone knows that each other exists. And it's one of those things where you could just reach out to anybody. And it's this beautiful ecosystem of support. And also there's an ugly side where there's also gossip and there's also all that support gossip, like the peer pressure, community, community pressure to, to be a certain way. It's a, a double-edged thing. sword, but the, the pros significantly outweigh the cons in that like, I have this beautiful network of people who are still willing to help all the time where I could just reach out to them. And just by virtue of just being a part of this community, they're willing to move heaven and earth for you. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And so there were a bunch, or at least a number of doctors who you were then able to say, hey, can I come down and, and shadow you to see if I want to do this doctor thing? All the good kids, right? All the kids that went through with it. <laughs> yes. But ultimately, you, you're 
By the way, this is brilliant. The fact that you were this thoughtful, just I want to I want to throw that out there because it never occurred to me in undergrad to go see what lawyers did. Like, did I work in a small law firm? Yeah, but that's a little bit different than, you know, what I, of course, than what I do now, but when I was practicing. So there is this level of diligence and intentionality that you seem to be exhibiting. It's a blessing and a curse. I do everything like that. It's, I have to check all my boxes. I, I knew that like these schools, there's a huge like gatekeeping element to them, which is, is, is a whole other discussion, but the school I knew to put in a completely different, you know, prong than the day-to-day practice. And I knew that they couldn't be more different. My summer here has taught me that very clearly as it pertains to lawyers. When it comes to medical professionals, I think it's even more so an MD in particular is a very comprehensive degree, but then they funnel down into this very niche practice. So it was very interesting to see that play out. Well, and you said existential crisis. I mean, maybe it was, maybe it was existential, but at the very least, you thought for probably the past three, four, five, six, maybe longer years, maybe long. I mean, I don't know how long you'd plan to be a doctor. That doctor was it. You start doing your research, and like you said, you're realizing, eh, I don't know if I want to do this, but I'm essentially pre med undergrad. So what do you? What happens? What do you decide that last year of college? That was rough. I um, I had always liked the idea of law because because of how like complete opposite because of how broad it is and because of how many different things you can do in that department even my group the like the healthcare group that I, that I hope to join soon it's incredibly diverse and everyone's practice is so unbelievably different and a lot of times they're in the office right next to each other and it that it was the complete opposite issue and i was like this is beautiful and by the way how did you how did you know that in college were you exposed to some lawyers or could you just intuit that legal was different? Two things. The first thing was I had always been interested in the JAG Corps. I watched um, a movie, Tom Cruise, Few Good Men. And it was like this really dramatic, cool <laughs> movie. And it was like, I was like, that's so cool. So I had looked into military, just various military careers. And if I had gone through with medical school, 1000%, I would have done it with the military. They have a very like well-situated program that makes a lot of sense financially. And, you know, yeah, you sign away some years of your life, but it's also this like crazy adventure and it's really cool and you don't have any debt. So it, it made a lot of sense. So I always knew what I was going to do was going to be in the military. When I started to look at law, I started to look at the military side of it too. And also I started to look at the government and I, I know that a lot of different careers are like really like JDs. So I had looked into that very casually before the existential crisis really materialized. So I always knew that about the field. Then after I started to have like severe doubts about whether I wanted to funnel myself down, I started to think of the inverse. And then once I started to think about that, the choice became very clear. And this is your senior year of college where you're just changing it all up. So you're going to graduate with I forgot the, the degree you said you were focused on, but you're going to, now that's going to be your focus. That is what it is. So I had a public, in the public health space and I was about to graduate. It was the summer before I graduated college in three years. So I made my last year kind of a living hell with the units and all that stuff. Cause I wanted to finish early to go to medical school, like initially. So the medical school application cycle is very strange where like, you need to really have a year to kind of get through it. So I was going to apply graduate early, travel, and then come back and start. That was my whole plan. But then it ended up just turning into staying home because COVID was raging. Oh my gosh. You're, ah, I can't believe we've been in this pandemic for so long, by the way. It's crazy. <laughs> that, that all of this has happened in your life and still COVID. I based a year off of my, I based a year of my life, like making it so much harder than it needed to be because I'm like, I'm going to have this time to just really enjoy my life. And I had never taken a break before it, but my break ended up being a, yeah, I ended up moving back with my parents, downgrading in age about 10 years. And uh, it felt like high school again. Yeah. Just, 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 yeah. Reverting back to like your 12 year old self. Okay. I want to make sure I'm following the timeline end of college, which you had zoomed through because you had this whole plan of when you were going to do various things to apply to med school. You realize I don't want to be a doctor maybe not exactly simultaneously, but the timing is such that the world also enters a global pandemic and you've had this lawyer thing in the back of your mind. Because obviously speaking to you today, you're at USC for law school. 
So start closing that for me. Like when does officially I'm going to apply to law school? What's the process like? How do you figure out USC? It was the summer before my last year of college, the summer before that marathon year. And I said, I was gearing up for the MCAT because that was going to be like my final hurdle. Yeah. As one does. Yeah. Right before that is kind of when I had all my doubts and I said, you know what, I'm going to take the LSAT. I hear like it's an interesting exam. It's not like super law heavy. It's more logic, whatever. Everyone had told me that it's pretty much an IQ test. Like reading comprehension or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, there's only so much can go wrong. I actually took a practice exam and I bombed it. And I was like, maybe I should not be a lawyer. I don't remember what the scale was, but it was an abysmal. It was like an embarrassing score. Uh, (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm clearly not that smart. And then over time I took a course and then like everything. I, I, I remember spending half of my savings on the course and I was like, everything ended up just making sense. And I quickly learned, you have to learn the exam, not the material. There's these exam, it has these tentacles. And if you figure them out, you figure the whole thing out. So once I learned the game, I took the exam, I got a score that I could stand behind. And then at the same time, I was still considering taking the MCAT because I wasn't sold. But thankfully, thankfully, a million times, law school does not have the same barriers of entry, I feel like, as medicine. That medicine, absolutely. You can, uh, you can, if you finish your exams and you have grades and you have interesting extracurriculars, you can put in an application. So I did. I only applied to six schools, half of which were here. Uh, half of them were some schools in other parts of the country where I had family members. USC got back to me in December of 2019. I want to say 20, yeah, 2019. And they, uh, later came out, all the scholarship information came out. USC made the most sense financially, which is not something you normally hear about USC, but it's a very generous school. I don't think I know anyone there who's paying the full price. So because they get a lot of scholarship donors. So that helps make the decision for you. It's also a great law school. Absolutely. It was the middle ground. It was not the best law, like best is subjective. It was not that, like you said, the US news, you know, best school in the country. There were others, but I was not willing to go into 300,000 or $400,000 of debt to go to, to go to school. And USC was, I think the best middle ground. And also they had the best, you know, when I was calling them to ask questions, cause I was still kind of one foot out the door. They were so inviting. They were so happy. They were so positive. They wrote like a handwritten letter in their acceptance letter. I felt like they were people. I have to say, so you're probably going to be episode, I'm going to guess your episode 90 or 91 of this show, something like that. It's the first time though, like the mention of that cost, like many times we've talked about how the cost is enormous, but putting an actual number behind what out of pocket at a top law school can run you. And this is, this is real. Like, I just want to, because we do have some high school students or people in college who've somehow discovered this show. And once again, I think part of it is talking about that stuff that you just, we don't talk about a lot. And the reality is it's not just a matter of what's the best school I got into and what's maybe closest to home and allows me to maybe be near my family, but also how much is this going to cost me? (laughs) And I think we've said it before, but I really just want to pull that out, that that is something that's very real that anybody who becomes a lawyer has dealt with in one way or another. Right. And a lot of people find themselves, you know, working certain jobs that they're not particularly interested in just because like the whole golden handcuffs idea. And it starts this cycle of like reliance on certain, you know, standard of living or certain, and it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. Even before that, even before, if you're lucky enough to get the big law job, paying you a lot of money and get to sign up for some golden handcuffs, there's the fact that that first semester of law school, it's usually made to, if you're, if you're full time, it's like, we really recommend that you not work. And, you know, some people do, or you can also go part-time. There's various things you can do, but it starts being this really funny thing of this really expensive thing. And you're telling me not to do anything to earn income while I'm doing it. You know, continues the bleeding, makes it more severe. And at the time I was like, I'm going to do the JAG thing with the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. So how's this going? You're like, do you apply to that simultaneously or how does that work? So right when I started law school, I already started putting applications for the JAGs, like 1L, like acceleration program thing where like you go to your 1L and then you can put in like an officer package to become an officer. And then if that happens, you can use your 2L summer to, you know, do the schools or work somewhere else. It's like this very streamlined process. If like, you know, that that's what you want to do. 
So it's, it's very convenient. So at the time, I'm like, I'm going to do this job. They have this like loan, convoluted loan thing. And I'm like, I'd rather not mess with that. If I didn't have to, I'd rather not mess with it. So I'm just going to go to the school that makes is balanced. Like it wasn't the cheapest option, but it wasn't the most expensive option. It wasn't the highest rank, but it wasn't the lowest rank. So I had to find out what's best for me. And now seeing that law firms are starting to kind of wake up to that. And it's like, oh, there aren't 10 schools where people are like the most capable. You know, there's tons of schools. And you know, that speaks to my job at Foley. I mean, I'm not the only buddy, but just with recruiting and broader talent, it's pointing out that, like I said before, it's not like people just, I want to go to law school. Oh, these are the top 15. I'm sure I can get into all those and then you'll hire me. There's so many other factors. And a lot of times for the top schools, and this isn't disparaged to anyone who went to one, like I, I went to one, but they're proxies for people who know, who knew of that school, whose parents went to the school. It's not necessarily a proxy for excellence because a lot of great people, there's other factors at play, which I think we've just talked about. And Danny, I just want to make sure I'm following the timeline, which to me, because it was influenced by the pandemic in some ways was yesterday, but you get into USC, December of 2019, you have to finish up college, but you didn't start in 2020. Did you start in 2021? I started in fall of 2020. Okay. You did start fall of 2020. Okay. And then, so yeah, you get a little bit of normalcy with your first semester. And the pandemic is your second semester of your first. So the whole first year was canceled in person. Oh, I'm sorry. Fall of 2020 is after March of 20. Yeah, right. I got so it. They, I got you. Sorry. They, yep. Everything was online. I could have gone to the University of Wisconsin, Nebraska, whatever. Like it would have been the same exact thing. Your, your e-law school Absolutely. experience. It was, it was the most bizarre thing. Half of it, I was still at home, you know, being screamed at for not cleaning something or something. Yep. Or for being in med school. But by the way, I feel like in some ways, so But I'm talking to you and a, and a few other summer associates and majority of you are impacted by the pandemic in this way. And let's pretend my podcast just lives on for eternity. In 10 years, someone's going to listen to this and be like, wow, what an interesting ex- explanation of, you know, maybe you're a partner at Foley by that and they can listen to your pandemic experience when you were your first year of law school. So you have all of that to grapple with your e, e version of law school, plus you're adjusting to being in law school. How was that academically? I mean, I'm, I'm going to kind of ignore the fact of the pandemic, which is huge and a huge thing to ignore. But what was it like trying to adjust to the learning style and, and it being virtual? Words cannot describe the like smack to the back of the head that it was. It was like this, we had heard all these stories and like People always talk about like these, like the one L experience or their bar studying experiences. This like badge of honor when they like went through the fire, right? And you know, part of me, you know, really thought that they were dramatizing it to make you know everything sound more like, like look at this great achievement. Oh, I really went through it. But when I got there, not only did everything they say, you know, resonate, there was this whole other element. Like before it was like, I don't know how to read a case and they cold call you and they make fun of you and whatever. And it's like, okay, whatever, who cares? But then this added layer of like, am I going to kill my parents? Like it's, it's like this whole other thing. With the bringing home COVID. Yeah. There's so much other, so many other layers. I mean, I think I did say this on another episode of the show and I'm sort of joking, but also not. It's when you talk to students in the future who complain about law school, you're going to be like, okay, not only did I do law school, it was virtual. During the pandemic, I walked uphill in the snow both ways. You're lucky you're in a room with people. You've gotten to meet your professor in person. <laughs> All those things. So that is a lot. That's a lot to navigate. You do you do navigate it, though, somehow. Um, and I just think talking about the difficulties are really important because I think most people, I've had a handful of people on the show who are like, law school was cool. It was great. It was way easier because I'd already worked for a decade and it was all I had to do. So occasionally we'll get people who are like, yeah, it was super easy. But most people, even if they're 30 years out of school, are like, yeah, that was hard. And when you're navigating a pandemic, even harder. So how do you start figuring out what you're going to do for that first summer after law school? You're still in a pandemic. That was the only easy part of the year. I had this vision and all I needed to do was switch it from medical to, to legal. And they, you know, they had a department for this and they had a department for that. So I essentially started begging. I started reaching out to people. I started reaching out to recruiters and I would make it clear. This is the reason I'm in law school. Like, please take me. And the reason was? 
the reason was to be a jag. Yeah. Okay. Because we know you. Because we know that's not where you are at the moment. So we got it. One day we'll get to how that. We'll get to what happened there. But go on. There was not just one existential crisis. There were there were a few. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's laugh or cry. We can laugh now because you're through it. But at the time, I'm sure it was it's hilarious cry. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hyster- you know the hardest things in your life are absolutely hysterical after you make your way through. Absolutely. Them, but... So it was you know it was so clear to me. I'm like, this is what I want to do, and all my other friends are like clamoring to work at law firms and starting to network from their, you know, second semester of 1L and all this stuff. I would like look at them from my perch and be like, ha ha. I'm going to the JAG. I don't have to do such I don't have to do anything. I just have to sign away five years of my life. No big deal. It's just, oh, you guys are trying to get normal jobs. That was the only, you know, the part is that, you know, I had a lot of friends who I was talking to who were clamoring to figure out what they wanted to do. And I was like, I know what I want to do. I didn't, but I thought I did in my arrogance. And then after my 1L summer with the JAG. So that did happen. You did what you need to do for them to have you come and be an, in, an intern, essentially, right. your 1L summer. Mm-hmm. So I show up. That was during a period of relative normalcies post-vaccine. Yeah, because we had these ups and downs. And did you, I mean, how did you get that? You applied online? Like, how did it- I applied online. I called people. They lost my application. I sent another one. And then I called the same people again. Remember me. I sent another application. I end up initially getting rejected. They said, you know, sorry, we, we canceled our program because, you know, COVID and all of that. So we don't have a normal program. Later, I keep bothering them. I'm like, it doesn't need to be a formal thing. I just want to come. I just want to shadow people. I just want to see what you guys do, whatever. They were kind of like humoring me for a while. And then later she said, there are these few installations that are still accepting interns, but their biggest installation, like the biggest, uh, they were called real SOs, like regional legal services offices that would each have like 10 or 15. And there was like, you know, 10 of them across the country. So there was a lot of opportunities there. They all shut their, shut their doors and just said, we're not going to have anything. But there were these other smaller commands that would say, like, yeah, we'll have an intern. Why not? So they were on different systems. So I was like, can I please go to one of those? They say, sure. You just need to go to Florida. I went... I don't really want to go to Florida. And so I keep asking, like, can I be moved to San Diego? Because that would have been the, the closest thing. And I, my brother was living there at the time, so I had a place. And they don't pay you. So it was like, I'm not going to pay out of pocket to... Right. I have to also, yeah, go to Florida, pay for housing, all of that. Right. The, the motif of my... I'm pretty cheap. So it's like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Financially savvy, okay? Savvy, yeah. <laughs> You're cognizant of my financial situation. That's right. Right. So it's... Uh, that was like the like undertone that like informed a lot of my decisions. So I was like, I would really love to not do that. So not only am I telling them to like pretty much shove me into a you know system. Right. Please that give me exist. an opportunity, but not there. Right. It was just the most. If I if I was on the receiving end of that, I would I would have said you know this kid stinks. Who's this guy? Right? Yeah. Who's this guy? And but you know I was trying to be and I got really tight with this recruiter in in DC and I was like, I've wanted to do this. this is the reason I'm in law school. I said I can't afford to go to Florida. I said, is there anything I can do in San Diego? She said, I'll get back to you. Two very long weeks later, she gets back to me. And she said, and this at this point is like two weeks before the summer starts. So I'm like looking up Florida and trying to figure out how to make it work. And she goes, there's a command in San Diego that is willing to take an intern. Do you want to go? I respond 20 seconds later to the email. Yes. Like a bunch of exclamation points. Thank you so much. And then they send me all this paperwork, whatever. I stopped looking at things in Florida and then I show up to them during this period of like COVID normalcy. Yeah. Cause the work that we had that moment where we're like, Oh, pandemic's kind of over. It's, it's done. Summer, right. Yay. Like the vaccines, they work. Everything's you know fantastic. Let's all go back to our lives, you know? And thankfully I was in that grace period. So it was fantastic. I, we showed up, everything was normal. I learned a lot from the attorneys there. So you spent like a couple, a couple months with them. Give me like a sentence or two, because we got to talk about your summer at Foley too eventually. So I don't want to talk too much about the JAG internship, but give me just like a couple sentences of a flavor of what you did that summer. Fun. So much fun. <laughs> you better say that about when we get to the Foley part Absolutely. too. But anyway, go on. It was on. a different kind of fun. They didn't have <laughs> any resources. They didn't do anything fancy, but it was just like the banter, like the making yeah, fun of Yeah, and you're other. watching them. I mean, they're, they're essentially the equivalent of... I want to say like the equivalent of like the prosecutors, but right. in the military. Right, exactly. Okay. And they had this humorous, like fun, just making fun of each other. They called me intern one. That was my name the whole summer. Okay, nice. There was nice. not another intern. I, <laughs> no, it was just you. There, there you like, have a name, but you are intern right, one. There Great. weren't three, but I was intern one. 
And then they made me play. Uh, we did. We went bowling one night, and they're like, "You can play for your name." The captain of the office. They didn't tell me, but he was like a professional bowler. So oh, they're like, so they got my that. hopes they, up. They knew what was. They knew what was going to happen <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> so you have a great experience now, but let's get to it. But then, or what happens next? Because let's we know we're not. You're not at Jag right, right now. Part of their the vibe that I loved about them so much, uh, you know, a skin tag to that was their honesty. They were such good people. They were such fun people. And they were so honest. And to say that I appreciate that is an understatement. They were unimaginably honest about the difficulties of the job, the moving, the um, lack of predictability. At the same time, I'm getting engaged. Predictability means a lot to me. And they made it very clear. They said, they may not listen to your first choice or your 10th choice. They may listen to your 20th choice if you're lucky. It was very blunt, but they were also, at the same time, they were very positive. They said, but this is also the best job I've ever had in my life. And I saw both sides of that. I saw the uncertainty. I saw the movement. But being active duty is not easy. You do what they tell you to do. But at the same time, I saw this like camaraderie that they had and this family that they had. And it was a real family. It wasn't like, oh, we have a great environment. No, they had a great environment. And I had to make a very hard decision where I was like, I'm at a very sensitive time in my life. There were some health issues back home that are still like, unfortunately, a thing. And I said, I don't know if I can get up and move to Okinawa, Japan right now. It's not the, the best time. So I had to have that, that hard conversation with the people closest to me. And I was like, I really want to do this, but I don't want to do this if this is going to like hurt you guys. But also, and that hard conversation with yourself too, I imagine, because it's with your family, you know, I need, I, I feel that I need to be close given what's going on with, like you said, health issues, if you're in a relationship, but also as a part of that, I'm sure you're really looking internally and being like, I don't know that I personally, I'm projecting by the way right now, but I don't know that I personally can move this far away knowing what's going on back at home. I could. And everyone told me you can do whatever you want to do, but I didn't want to. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to because at the end of the day, your work is important, but my family and the people closest near to me are like so above and beyond that. And that's something that I think fully embodies. That's a whole, like your whole the story about how I got into the big law firm space, but to find myself at a firm like Foley who embodies all of these concerns that the, I the, harbor. The focus on people. Yes. Yes. Well, and we're getting, I think we're getting there a little bit as to how you could get that sense of the firm a little through this podcast, but you know, to to fast forward you just a little, so I make sure we have time to talk about the actual summer. So you just, you ultimately decide I'm not going to pursue being a JAG officer is what happens. And now you're heading back to law school. I'm assuming in that time period where everyone else is doing the big law, like interviews or whatever, I'm imagining you probably didn't sign up. I didn't do anything. <laughs> do. Yeah. So what happens? What do you, how, like, how do you, how do you, and the thing is, dear listener, you know, Danny's told me the story before, so I know the answer, but, but I got to get it out of him for you. Uh, so yeah, what do you do? We had a great conversation in Chicago. I think that I reassess, I say, what, what kind of job, you know, would I like to have that is relatively normal, that would allow me to live a normal life and still be fulfilling and still mean a lot to me. And so I used to make fun of my friends who were pursuing law firms. I was like, guys, this is so ridiculous. Three months earlier, you were sitting pretty. I can't believe you guys want to go to a firm. (laughs) I was making fun of them. I said, you guys are so stressed out right now. And then afterwards, I I called them. (laughs) And I said, hey, my situation changed. I need advice. And so a lot of my closest friends rallied behind me and were like, this is what you can do. We're just going to start calling people. We made us. We made spreadsheets together. Wow! So this is like is this like August or September? It's later, of 20... I think it might have been October. Oh yeah, that is it late. was okay. after people had gotten their offers and accepted them, and everyone was moving on with their lives. Well, and let me just say for any those early in law law students or college students listening, typically to interview with a big firm to be with them the second summer of law school, a lot of that happens through on campus interviewing or resume drops in essentially August after your first year and like in September, maybe you're still interviewing, but as the firm, we'll, we'll tend to have gotten things wrapped up often by October, but fully, obviously we had some, some possibilities, but go on Danny. Me and a few of my buddies who are like my family, some of them are not even in the legal field, just took to the internet, made Excel spreadsheets of law firms and their recruiting contacts. And I just started calling to the point where I was sending 20, 30 calls, voicemails, emails a day to different firms. Most of them would call me back and say, what the heck is wrong with you? We did this like two months ago. Yeah, it's October. And I'd be like, thank you for your time. And I'd hang up. 
And then I get this phone call from Steve Banderic, who is the best human being on earth. And a couple of firms- uh, On our recruiting team. He's a fantastic, yep. fantastic human being. A couple of firms that showed interest, but largely because of Steve and this podcast is why I'm at Foley. And those were all like, we might need one more, we might need one more kind of situations. Everyone else had said, we're done, sorry. He calls me, he says, hi, this is Steve. You know, I'm you know, calling to see if you're still interested in this healthcare law position because I was building off of my public health background. And I figured that'd be a great area of law to, to go into. I'm like frantically control effing my spreadsheet to figure out who Steve is. And who is this? What is this Foley and Lardner thing? I see Foley thing? and Lardner. I go, ah, Foley. It's great to hear. Yes, of course. <laughs> I was expecting your call. <laughs> it's, it's great to hear from you. And we have this like, all he was going to do was going to schedule an interview. And the phone call turned into like an hour thing. We just like, got to know each other. And it was so bizarre. Two days later, I had an interview with one of the with actually the co-chair of the healthcare group, just her. That was like my screener. <laughs> and it yeah, was I love that. And it was, I don't think anyone gets to talk to the co-chairs of their group or the chairs of their group very often. And yeah, usually not on, on campus interview. That's not who you're meeting to absolutely first thing, not. But, and so yeah. I have this, you know, also hour-long conversation with her and she goes, Your background's very interesting. Sounds like you would appreciate the healthcare practice, whatever. She's like, I'm gonna send this to either the LA office or the San Diego office, see which one you're more comfortable with, and we'll get an interview going. Two days after that, interview happens here. And then between that and the, or between the callback, which I guess that was the callback, this is all like the wild west of recruiting. It's like there was no formal structure. It was like, well, talk to these people, talk to those people. I talked to Alexis, who is my partner mentor here now. And one of the best things about my experience here we we interview with couple uh, with her the hiring partner San Diego and two people from LA who are also in the the healthcare group we all hit it off it's like this amazing thing and i'm starting to get hope i'm like i might be able i might have a job i might be able to <laughs> get a summer. job and everyone all my friends outside of the few that were helping me thought i was crazy they were like you know go to the DA's office go do something else they're like no one's going to take you right now the law firm ship has sailed it's sailed and they were like, you can try 3L recruiting, you know, good luck. And fully in between hearing back after my last interview, I'm just searching left and right because I don't know if there's going to be another interview because nobody says, nobody said this is your second and final or first. Right. What's the process like? You're off, you're off cycle. So the process could be a little could different. Could be anything. So I'm like, I'm going to learn as much about this place as possible. And before law firms had just, to me, just been a collection of last names. They didn't mean anything to me. And websites. Right. Websites that all say it's the great culture and great this and great that. And they all say the same thing. And I'm like, these are just last names and they don't mean anything. I start to look into the firm. I find this podcast. I start listening to random episodes. I actually listened to one of Steve Millendorf. I was telling him, I was like, you're, you're one of the first <laughs> things I've learned about Foley. And he, he, I, I talked to Steve, I'm not joking, maybe an hour and a half a day. And you know, just to hear these human beings behind these arbitrary random last names Foley and Lardner, whoever and whoever, whoever and whoever, it just... And behind the the bio, all of our the pictures kind of look the same. Everything kind of reads the same. Everybody's extremely impressive. Right. Everyone looks but great. Who are they? Right. But who are they really? Right. Everyone looks great. All of their practices are the top of the world and every, everybody's, you know, sitting pretty, but no one tells me anything about what the firm's actually like. This podcast, I was like, these are the human beings who are who work here. They're not just this collection of heads that are under these arbitrary last names. They are people and they have stories. And I was like running, I was going on runs and, and, and working out and I would just be like listening to random. As you can imagine, this all makes my heart sing because it's like the whole point of the show and a bet that I placed two years ago or a little over two years ago that at the time was a little wild because there's still, this doesn't exist still at any other firm, like not, not meaningfully. I know there's one firm who's, who's emulated this and they have like three episodes out, but I, now you can listen to over 80 of our lawyers, like whenever you want, the number's going to keep growing. But this is the bet that hearing it in someone's own voice and to talk about the things that you're not going to read on their bio can make you feel like, oh, I can do that too, but also lets you know who we are. Just to hear them laugh and just to hear them talk about their story and to answer questions and to be like, I never thought about it that way when when you're asking your follow-up questions. And I'm like, these are people. Yeah. And you could probably tell, I know Danny, you could attest to this. 
We don't do prep. Now, maybe that's not smart, but I expect people to be experts in themselves. And also, like I, I, I tell every lawyer, I just need an hour of your time. I'm not going to do an hour or 90-minute intake interview and pick out the gems. No, we jump on. They say what they say. There's very light editing. Occasionally, I'll pull out a client name or if the doorbell rings because Amazon's at the door. But it's what, you know, like Danny and I just jumped on, although we did talk when you were in Chicago. But no, that's right. And I, I love that so much. So that's why it's so wonderful to have you on. I had a peer. I'm, I, I can't believe I'm on it. To me, this is like just something that taught me about the legal field. And it just so happened to end up being the firm that I worked for. And it's this thing. I had this peer at, at USD who, who worked here after his 1-0 year. And he was singing the praises of the firm and talking about you and talking about the podcast. And I look up to this person a great deal. And I just began to just listen to more episodes. And I'm just like, these are the people behind the curtain. And I, at the same time, get the offer, which was also just another like random email. Like we have great news. And I'm like calling my friends who helped me with my spreadsheets. I'm like, I'm like, guys, you wouldn't believe that. We did and they're it. Like, yeah, we, did yeah, it. We, we, seriously, we did it. We, like we did one it. of my friends, he's in medicine. Another one of my friends is in computer science. Another one of my friends is a teacher at a high school. And we just, we, we all just, lobbied around to try to like find me a job and at the time i'm like i got a job it's at a big firm they seem cool whatever having been here now for 10 weeks about to leave about to pack up my stuff and turn in my computer it's not just two people's last names like this i got so lucky oh my god we're going to talk about that i'm just gonna put one thing in just let people know the law students listening because some people listen because they want to learn about foley but others are just listening because they want to learn about law firms much like yourself so as law firms, we have hiring cycles. And what you just heard was the story of somebody who was off cycle and who was extremely diligent and things work out because generally we do fill our classes. But if we know we have a need and maybe it didn't work out that we you know, want, needed someone for healthcare and there ended up being an opening that we may have otherwise deferred until 3L hiring even, depending. So I just love the detail though of your story because the hustle you know, lots of students are going to get jobs through OCI, but frankly, a lot aren't, right? And many people may, may not have an opportunity at Foley, but the hustle and the connecting with people for both what you did for JAG and for Foley and the amazing way you rallied a community behind you as well, sometimes that's what it takes. To, and you still get an amazing opportunity. And unless you hear a show like this, you'll never know that's what the person had to do to get the role. So I just really appreciate you for talking to this. But yes, now I've, I've held you off. Go ahead. Talk fully. Talk your summer. I've just had the best time. And, you know, honestly, I was prepared for things to just be really cookie cutter, really bland, really like do this project, turn it in. I'm like, it's a big law firm. I heard all the jokes. And I was like, I'm just happy to have a job that's normal, that will allow me to live a relatively normal life. And it's at a good firm with a good reputation, seems like it has good people. And for healthcare, a stellar reputation Absolutely. in particular. And, and you know, the fact that my entry into this space was to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Judy Waltz, who's a giant in the field, is it's just such a bizarre story. Like if I had gone through the normal OCI process, I might not have ever spoken to her. That's right. Maybe at some summer thing where you'd see her on Zoom or something like that. I often joke around with my friends and I'm like, I never get anything easy. Like I never go through the normal process and it just happens. Like nothing's ever like that. Maybe not, but I'm feeling like the universe is still doing its thing. That ultimately you focusing on public health administration and, you know, being on the cusp of a uh, health law practice that's lining up. I couldn't have wrote it. That's, and it. I couldn't have wrote it. Exactly. And it feels like you're where you're supposed to be. It's lining up. But tell me more about your experience as a summer. What kind of stuff have you gotten to work on? What's it been like to be a summer associate at Foley? Real. I know what it's like to be an associate. I know what it's like to banter with everyone else. I know what it's like to go out with everyone else. I, you see a lot of summer programs where they just try to inundate you with dopamine. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> Like they just try to. We do some of that too. There's some dopamine, but there is also work that you can do to see what it's like. It was great, but ultimately they trusted me. And, you know, I wouldn't have trusted some kid that just came in through the back door. I'd be like, I don't really think about this guy. He's not like the top of his class. He's just some random dude that they brought in. I wouldn't have trusted me. And they, they really trusted me. To do what, by the way? Like what kind of stuff? They were giving me research assignments for clients. They're like, like very time sensitive. They'd be like, we need the answer to this and we're just going to take your word for it. They, I was writing blog posts that are now starting to be you know, published with the firm. And I worked with 
some of the best lawyers in the healthcare group on it one-on-one where I just call them and be like, I need you to explain this part to me. I wrote this, is this right? Whatever. And they, they, you know, they publish it. I was on a lot of their business development call, like very sensitive stuff, hearing about like the underbelly that I wouldn't have told a summer associate. They <laughs> like all they're like, well, we need to fix this and we need to do this. And well, I, I will say Foley is generally, I think a very transparent firm. So I think culture, like we have a, I think we have a really lovely culture in a lot of ways, but also I know when I was a summer at Foley way back when I learned more about Foley's finances as a summer than I ever learned at the firms where I was actually a practicing attorney. And I do think there is this, and I know the word authenticity is so played out at this point, but I think that's what it is at the end of the day. It's real. That's why the only word I can come up with was real. I know what it's like to work here, which I don't think a lot of summers can say. And it doesn't mean it was boring. It doesn't mean it was stressful. It doesn't mean it was too much. We had tons of fun. We took a retreat to Chicago. We got unimaginably close with our co-summers, like with our LA peers and our San Francisco peers. And we even had someone fly out from Salt Lake City to come hang out with us at one of our events. We like lobbied it. It was like a grassroots thing. They had told us before we went on the trip to like, don't just hang out with each other, talk to everybody. We took it to another level. We got so tight with everybody that we told them about some of the events that we're having and everyone started arguing. We need to, can we fly down? Can we take a train down? They came to our SeaWorld event. We had a SeaWorld event. They came to our Padres <laughs> game. This is all across California and Salt Lake City. It's the most bizarre thing. And when I say that I love these people, I mean, I love these people. Well, and by the way, this is something you also don't hear a lot about as being a summer associate. You will be tight with the people you summer with. So if you are if you end up in an office where there's only a couple of summers, or maybe you connect with other offices, or maybe you meet, you're at a firm, whether it be Foley or others, where you'll meet at a larger event, you will always, 10 years later, 15 years later, you'll be like, oh no, I know him. We summered together because there's just a shared bond there. And whether it be with all the summers or a really tight bond with those in your office, people don't talk about that, but that's true. Like there's partners at Foley right now. And we haven't talked in years, but if you're like, oh, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah, we summered together. We go way back. Like, yeah, I know. I know her. <laughs> and part of my, part of our work days is we have these group chats and we just talk to each other. And that's just part of our day. It's like with the work, with the lunches, with the whatever, we talk to people from the other offices. We go to each other's events, which is not historically always the case with other classes. We just got so close and we, we, we bothered our superiors enough to be like, well, and not to, not to mention you all are coming out of the pandemic. So and you're like, yay, people in person, <laughs> you know, you know, not to take it for granted at all. So everything's probably a little more amplified, but I think that's wonderful. And frankly, like as a firm, we want that because we want you to not only know your fellow summers that you're getting to know the people in your office, people across the firm. And we hope you do that for the rest of your career. Cause while it's fun and it's nice to have colleagues and friends, it also translates to the ability to share work and cross-sell in, I don't know, five years from now or 10 years from now, because you'll have those relationships across the firm. A lot of projects that I had, I would, I would call co-summers from other offices and be like, you're litigation, right? I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I need help. And we'd be on teams and like, shout out to Maggie Driscoll in LA. She's helped me with every single one of my litigation assignments. And she's amazing. And we just got so tight with each other. I'm in, I, I'm talking to my co-summers in the San, San Diego office. We joke about how much time we waste talking to each other. We work, but then our breaks, instead of like doing something else, we have to do it together. We go on walks together. We eat together. I love that so much. That's what the summer is for. It's like you said, you want to get a real sense of what it's like to be a lawyer, but also really make some friends and, and get to know your colleagues. Because when you do start, the billable clock is, is ticking in a way that it's not as a summer. And so it's great if you forge some of those bonds. And frankly, it can be what makes it harder when you lateral into a firm or you join as a first year having not summered. You don't have as much time for for the chit chat just to build a relationship you're still going to do it and you'll be fine but it's not the same absolutely not it's it's this is real this is organic and fingers crossed next year when when we're all you know back in the same boat i can't imagine much will change except for the fact that we just need to clock our hours and i i do not imagine pulling back from hanging out with them we're still going to go on our walks we're still going to eat together <laughs> we're still going to sit in each other's offices and complain about everything and it's, it's oh, going to be amazing. And I want to do it for a long time. You're not complaining about anything. You're, you're brainstorming solutions to right. innovative, difficult uh, client paths. problems. Right. 
Well, and I also have to say, we already touched on this, but I really enjoyed getting to meet you in person in Chicago because I've now, you're now my third summer class since I started at the firm, but the first one was fully remote. The second was hybrid, but you're the first class where we got to do our in-person summer associate retreat. So that was extra special for me. And then also now that I've done this podcast, I, I would dare say that I'm like fully famous amongst a number of the summer associates. So to have you and others be like, it's so weird. I know your voice. Right. I knew your voice. <laughs> and here you are. And here you are. It's like, I know your disembodied voice, but here you are in person was extremely, extremely fun. And very, I can't stress just how full circle it is for me as well. But it seems to me like all, like a lot of things are meant to be, you know, you're, you're, this was the path you were meant to be on here with us at, at Foley. But so as we do start to wind down our conversation, cause we could talk forever, by the way, I want to ask the two final substantive questions. One, is there anything you wanted to touch on that you haven't had a chance to? And then two, what is your overall advice? And by the way, I think I know what the advice you should give should be, because there's a definite theme to this episode, but still, what is your advice to you know law students or someone aspiring to have a legal career? I would say, you know, if there's anything I didn't touch on, it would be that I do not mean to say that you just randomly call law firms and one will call you back and you're just going to have this amazing time. I do think that this was a unique lottery situation. I tell my friends I hit the big law firm lottery because I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, you know, everyone has their stories and not all of them are positive. And I, I tell my friends, I'm like, this worked out in the weirdest possible way where not only did I find myself in a firm in this unconventional, unorthodox way, I've had FaceTime with the most amazing people. Every time the chair of our groups in LA, they, they took a train up just so I can see everybody in one place. I sat on a call with her and we, we talked for like an hour. It's, it's stuff that just doesn't normally, you don't hear that stuff very often. So I tell, I tell a lot of people, I'm like, I hit the job lottery because I kind of fell face first into a situation that if you would have lined up a lot of situations, I would have voluntarily chosen this one. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know anything. All I knew was last names. And I get it. You're not trying to give out false hope to people. But I do think there's something major about when you're tenacious and you're you're committed and you keep going, things will work out. And they may look different than what you thought. And it might take longer than you thought, right? For you, it wasn't a super long process. But but that is really, really key. I mean, you, you, you did the same thing with JAG. And that's my advice. My advice is things are not always going to work out the way that other people say that they're going to, or the way that you might expect them to. In this way, it worked out very well, but there's been a bunch of other things in my life that have not gone that way. But I've, I, I, you know, I've, I've had the same tenacity. I don't think it's just like, oh, well, it's successful. So that's why it works. It, no, it always works. It, the doors that close, I think are probably more, more valuable than the ones that open because it points you in the right direction. So I, I would tell students, I would just say, let the door slam in your face. I was calling in total, it had to have been like the entire Amlaw 100. I'm not even joking. And and other firms, like smaller, mid-sized, all these other firms. I'm just at this point trying to get a job. And I've heard no more times in those two months than I had in my entire life. I, I had never felt like anyone was ever going to say yes to me. But then someone did. You need your yes. You need your one yes. And I, I really love this to whole discussion because not only have you done an amazing job at, you know, sharing your experience at Foley and really, I think, exhibiting like who you are and your tenacity, but I get a lot of law students who reach out to me to talk about finding a job, right? And many of them are in a situation where it might be after they graduate that they find that job. And this is a great episode for me to be able to share because it really goes into the level of it's not like send one email and then kind of pack it up when that person says no. It might be it might be seventy five, and you know, I say fortunately for Foley because you know another year we may not have had any capacity, but sometimes things do shift and change. And by building relationships, by continuing to reach out to a firm, sometimes things can happen. So, and I think we're the better for it in this case. I think I am too, and I think it's one of those symbiotic situations where I I could not have been more grateful for the struggle. Because if I would have just did, done OCI and interviewed with 40 different firms and one of them took me and I would have just showed up like, oh, of course this is going to happen. I did the process and now I'm at a firm. I wouldn't have had that same appreciation. That entitlement. There's a lot of entitlement involved in it. I'm never going to take this place for granted because I knew what it took for me to get here. 
I love it. I mean, not that I want you to ever take us for granted, but I think that's great. I think it's in some ways a, a perfect note to end on. And I really appreciate you for being on the podcast. Cause like I said, this has meant a lot to me to talk to someone who this show played an important role in their, their journey, you know, to the path and the practice. This played a role in your path getting here, which I think is fabulous. So as we do officially wind down, I want to say, of course, you know, you only have two days left at the summer associate. You have a fully email right now, but you won't soon. So just wanted to make sure, Danny, if people have questions or comments for you, is it okay if they find you on LinkedIn and reach you that way? 1000% yes. Okay, perfect. Well, Danny, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, This podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.